Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is an Apostrophe podcast production. We regret to inform you, the Rejection Podcast. I was starting to look into the abyss and thinking, how am I going to pay rent? What am I going to do? J.F. Lawton. J.F. Lawton grew up in a household of intellectuals. His father was a novelist and voracious reader turned college professor, and his mother was a teacher and classically trained pianist. But J.F. was dyslexic. He spent his school days separated into the special needs class. And if that wasn't enough fodder for bullies, he was also short, really short. The Lawtons lived in Riverside, California, a desert city about an hour inland of Los Angeles. Riverside is home to California's first and oldest naval orange tree, planted in 1873. That tree was the parent tree from which all other naval orange trees in the state have descended, sparking the Citrus Revolution and putting California on the map agriculturally. But Riverside has another claim to fame. Punctuating its downtown is a white tower, stemming from the Fox Performing Arts Center. Back in the 30s and 40s, that very theater was a secret weapon for Hollywood. 
the industry would use the space to discreetly preview its upcoming releases and gauge audience reactions. Riverside was the perfect choice because it was far enough outside of Los Angeles to represent the quote-unquote average American while still being close enough for the Hollywood brass to make the trip. In 1939, it was the site of the first-ever public screening of Gone with the Wind, arguably the highest-grossing blockbuster of all time. When Lawton was eight years old, one of his father's novels titled Willy Boy, A Desert Manhunt was picked up by Universal Studios and adapted into a motion picture. It was a huge accomplishment, made even more huge by the fact Robert Redford and Catherine Ross were cast as the leads. They called the movie Tell Them Willie Boy Is Here. His father brought him on set to meet the stars and see firsthand how a movie was made. So some of Lawton's earliest memories were entangled in Hollywood, celebrity, and idolizing his father. By elementary school, Lawton knew exactly what he wanted to do with his life. He would become a novelist, just like Dad. But his dyslexia presented a formidable speed bump. So his parents made it their mission to help him overcome it. As it turns out, Lawton's dyslexia wasn't just a reading problem, it was also an inner ear problem. So using her piano and teaching backgrounds, his mother began working with Lawton on identifying different pitches and phonics. Meanwhile, his father introduced him to the world of literature, starting with comic books and slowly working their way up to F. Scott Fitzgerald. And amazingly by middle school, Lawton moved out of the special needs class and into the gifted class. Lawton's dismay, all that hard work, and a timely growth spurt, didn't stop the bullying. Instead, his peers found new reasons to pick on him, namely his interest in theater. At just 11 years old, Lawton hand-wrote his very first script for a play. His father hired a grad student to type it up for him on their typewriter. It turned out great and his school decided to put it on as a production. It was Lawton's very first taste of success. One day, the Royal Shakespearean Company came to his school to do a workshop with the drama students. From a dyslexia standpoint, Lawton found Shakespeare particularly challenging, but the Royal Shakespearean actors brought it to life. He suddenly understood how words on a page could transform on a stage. The actors were talented. Two of the youngest in the company that year were nobodies named Patrick Stewart and Ben Kingsley. Lawton was blown away and decided to pivot his focus to playwriting. But in the meantime, the jocks would beat him up behind the school and inevitably toss him into a trash can. When he graduated high school, Lawton followed the Royal Shakespearean Company West to watch them perform a second time at Long Beach State University. Once again, he was blown away. It also opened his eyes to the fact people actually studied theater in college. So he applied to Long Beach State for the theater arts program and was accepted. 
That summer, Lawton landed the most magical job he could think of. A restaurant worker at Disneyland. He had visited the park with his parents as a child, and now that he was living nearby, Disneyland was a fountain of magic and employment. But by his final year of college, it came time to make a real plan, a plan to work in theater full-time. But Lawton's professors weren't so optimistic. After four years of writing and studying to become the next Tennessee Williams, they gave him one final piece of advice. Don't pursue theater. There's no money in it. Hollywood is half an hour away. Go work in TV. So in 1982, Lawton hopped the I-5 North to Los Angeles and got himself a tiny apartment on Hollywood Boulevard. When he got to Los Angeles, Lawton dove headfirst into networking. If he wanted to write for TV, he'd have to get his scripts under the right noses. So he started making calls. The first agent who picked up the phone gave him the lay of the land, the Hollywood pecking order circa 1982. She told him that television writers were below movie writers on the food chain. Even an unproduced movie writer held rank over a TV writer. So, if Lawton wanted to get into television, she recommended he start a notch higher in feature film writing. He had reshaped his plan from novelist to playwright to TV writer and now to screenwriter. But Lawton was young and malleable, so he decided to go with the flow. One afternoon, Lawton decided to check out the famous Rodeo Drive. He knew it was fancy, so he put on his best suit and made his way over to the base of Rodeo at Wilshire Boulevard. He found himself standing in the shadows of the mammoth flags hanging above the entrance to the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. Lawton had never seen a five-star hotel before, so he sheepishly stepped inside. The lobby was breathtakingly beautiful, shiny floors, gold trim, and fresh flowers everywhere. But he could barely enjoy it. He felt like a fish out of water in his secondhand suit. So he walked out the doors and continued onto Rodeo Drive. Lawton made his way past the expensive boutiques and popped into a shop that caught his eye. As he wandered around the store, casually browsing the merchandise, a salesman approached him and asked if he needed assistance. He politely declined and continued browsing. But the salesman interrupted again, and this time abruptly said, We have nothing here for you. You're in the wrong place. Lawton stepped out of the shop and back onto the busy street, utterly mortified. Lawton began writing feature scripts but no one would take the time to read his stories. It wasn't that he was delivering pitches and getting shot down. He wasn't getting meetings in the first place. Lawton wasn't completely discouraged because his father had prepared him for the realities of the struggling writer, but he was starting to worry about paying rent. So he took a production job at Canon, 
a low-budget movie studio that made its money producing exploitation films. As an assistant editor, Lawton watched the studio take popular trends like Ninjas or Chuck Norris and churn out film after film. So he decided to take a crack at writing one himself. He hopped on the ninja bandwagon and pitched an idea for a martial arts movie called Terminal Force. Lawton wasn't one of Cannon's writers. He was a lowly assistant editor. So the studio was skeptical. But the concept was good. And surprisingly, they greenlit the movie. He was paid $1,200 for his idea, which was big money for him at the time. And if that wasn't exciting enough, his name appeared in the Hollywood Reporter. Lawton was thrilled, until he wasn't. Before they even began shooting, Terminal Force met its terminal fate. The movie was dropped. Full stop. Lawton went back to the drawing board. His first bite came when he based his ideas on trends, so he figured cranking out another in the same zip code was his best bet. But 12 scripts brought 12 rejections, and six years out of college, he still wasn't making a living as a writer. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> Hollywood Boulevard was open 24-7. During the day, droves of camera-clutching tourists posed with the stars underfoot. But after dark, a different clientele lined the sidewalks. Hey, baby, wanna go out? 
Lawton spent many a late night in the local donut shop near his apartment, working on scripts. And over time, he got to know some of the sex workers that would pop in for a quick coffee. One night, one of the women told Lawton an interesting story. A wealthy man in a fancy car had pulled up outside the donut shop and taken her to Las Vegas for an entire week. They stayed in a big hotel suite, and he ended up spending thousands of dollars on her. Lawton was fascinated. He asked if it was hard for her to return to her normal life afterward. Nah, she said. No big deal. Lawton was still coming up with ideas, but they still weren't selling. So he took up a side hustle, teaching people to use these newfangled things called computers. Lawton was tech savvy, and with the advent of the Macintosh, there was money to be made. People were phobic about the new technology. A friend referred him to a man named Gary Goldstein, who needed help setting up a new Mac in his office. So Lawton met with Goldstein, and while he programmed his computer, the two got talking. As it turned out, Goldstein managed screenwriters. So Lawton told him about his work and his goals, and Goldstein graciously offered to read some of his scripts. Lawton sent him the script for a martial arts movie, and another for a goofy fireman story he'd scribbled a while back. Goldstein said, okay, what else you got? So Lawton sent him the script for a more serious story called Red Sneakers. Red Sneakers was the first dark screenplay he'd ever attempted, about a gay stand-up comedian amputee. It wasn't your usual fare, but Goldstein loved it and took him on instantly as a client. Lawton was stunned. The strategy he had been counting on, writing exploitation scripts, did nothing for Goldstein. Instead, his darker, more complex story landed him a manager. Interesting. So he decided to start another script, an equally dark script. The movie Wall Street had just come out with Michael Douglas. It was a big hit. It delved into the world of corporate raiders, investors who specialize in launching hostile takeovers of companies with undervalued assets, breaking them apart, and reselling the pieces for profit. And the 80s was the decade of the corporate raider. Most of the young women Lawton had met at the donut shop hailed from the Midwest and shared similar stories. Their fathers were factory workers back home in the Rust Belt, but corporate raiders swooped in to buy and destroy those companies, prompting the suddenly out-of-work fathers to drink and become abusive. The daughters then picked up and fled to Los Angeles, ending up on Hollywood Boulevard. It gave Lawton an intriguing thought. What if he put a corporate raider face-to-face -face with a runaway daughter, with neither of them understanding their connection? The idea had legs, so he started writing a story. He called it 3000. 3000 told the story of Vivian, an escort working an average Thursday night on the Strip, conducting business between puffs of the crack pipe she shares with her junkie best friend, Kit. 
Cold white breath floats from Vivian's bright red lips when a Mercedes pulls up beside them. Vivian leans in the window to find an attractive Wall Street type in an expensive suit named Edward, who propositions her for the evening. She hops in the car and asks which motel he's staying at. The Beverly Wilshire, he says. Edward has a girlfriend back home in New York, but he's in L.A. on business for the week buying a company to sell piecemeal. The two spend the night together, and the next morning, Edward asks Vivian if they could extend their business arrangement for the week. Seven full days and seven full nights. But before Vivian accepts, the two agree on a dollar figure. Three thousand. Edward wants her to accompany him to work events, but doesn't think she looks presentable. So he gives her his credit card to shop on Rodeo Drive. But when she walks into the very first store, the saleswoman says, you're obviously in the wrong place. Please leave. Vivian is utterly mortified and returns to the hotel. She meets her fairy godfather in the form of the Beverly Wilshire manager, Mr. Thomas, who assists her in the wardrobe and etiquette departments. Vivian and Edward go on elegant dinners, helicopter rides over the city, and the opera. At the end of the script, Edward drives Vivian back to Hollywood Boulevard on his way to the airport. But she sobs. She doesn't want to leave him and won't take the $3,000. So Edward forces her out of the car. He throws the cash out the window and drives away. She kneels down to fish the bills out of the gutter. In the final scene, Vivian and Kit are on a bus headed for Disneyland, and Vivian stares, quote, emptily out the window. Goldstein said it was the best script he'd ever held in his hands. They decided 3000 would make a nice little independent art film. So Goldstein got to work sending the script to indie movie producers. And all of a sudden, there was buzz around this dark script by this unknown named J.F. Lawton. The Sundance Institute caught wind of Lawton's script. Sundance is a prestigious nonprofit organization that champions independent art films, helping to advance the work of up-and-coming filmmakers. Typically, you'd have to apply to Sundance and have your script reviewed. But this time, Sundance approached Lawton. He couldn't believe it. So he and Goldstein met with the folks there. And through the review process, Sundance connected them with a studio called Vestron Pictures. And Vestron was interested in optioning 3000. Vestron was a relatively new studio, but had just come off its first major hit called Dirty Dancing. It was a huge opportunity, but Vestron had one major concern. They thought the final scene where Vivian looked out the window emptily was too bleak. So they asked, could she look out hopefully instead? Lawton was open to the adverb change, and Vestron moved forward with 3000 Lawton was paid $2,500 for the option, 500 less than Vivian. 
There was heavy debate about who to cast as Vivian when Goldstein's voice cut through the clutter. He said he knew exactly the actress to play this role, Julia Roberts. As Goldstein said, she is Vivian. In 1988, Julia Roberts had only done one notable film, Mystic Pizza. Lawton hadn't seen it, so he rented the movie and thought, okay, I guess. So Vestron contacted Roberts. She loved the script and hopped on board. Boom, the lead was cast. It was all happening. Then, almost overnight, Vestron went bankrupt. 3,000 was dead in the water. And Julia Roberts made steel magnolias instead. Unbeknownst to Lawton, the script for 3,000 had landed on the radar of development executives over at Touchstone Pictures. Touchstone was a division of Disney, created specifically to produce their more grown-up films. And every Monday, Jeffrey Katzenberg, the Disney Studios chairman at the time, would sit down with his team and go around the room discussing the new scripts they'd read over the weekend. One script reader said she'd read a screenplay called 3000 and that it was really good. But, she said, it wasn't for them. Then another piped up and said he'd read that one too. Very good, but agreed, not for them. Then a third echoed the very same sentiment. That's when Katzenberg stepped in and said, well, why isn't it for us? The development team came to the consensus that the answer was threefold. One, Vivian being a sex worker was controversial. Two, the ending was too depressing. And three, Edward was unlikable. So Katzenberg posed another interesting question. Could they change those things? And just like that, Disney wanted in. Universal had also caught wind of the script, which resulted in a bidding war. But Disney came out on top. Touchstone had done mostly lighthearted films up until that point, like Splash and Three Men and a Baby, and was looking for something a little more serious to add to its repertoire. As was Gary Marshall. Marshall had a background in television comedy with Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley, but he had recently directed his first foray into dramatic subject matter with the film Beaches, and he wanted to continue in that direction. So when Touchstone approached him with 3000, he was intrigued. Marshall liked the fish-out-of-water aspect of the story. He could instantly envision gum-chewing Vivian stepping into the Beverly Wilshire, the fancy shop, and the opera. So with Marshall on board, Touchstone officially greenlit the movie. Lawton was thrilled. His very first studio film was a go. His career strategy was working. Disney asked Lawton to come to their studio for a meeting. When he got there, they were already building sets. He couldn't believe how quickly it was all happening. Disney wanted to brainstorm with Lawton about ways to lighten the heavy ending. Could Vivian get a job at the hotel? What about a daycare center? If she ends up with Edward, is it a cop-out? 
or should she end up with someone else? So Lawton got to work on some rewrites. He decided three things needed to change. Vivian had to be new on the job. Kit and Vivian couldn't be addicts that viewers worried about surviving. And Edward couldn't have a girlfriend back home in New York. It was too unsympathetic. Instead, he should be reeling from a breakup. They were changes Lawton was happy to make. Meanwhile, Marshall was knee-deep in casting. The studio wanted Michelle Pfeiffer and Al Pacino, but Pfeiffer passed on the role. So the casting director brought back the original Vivian, Julia Roberts. Roberts was shocked the movie had landed at Disney. The script she had originally been given was so dark. She thought, what, are they planning to animate it? Marshall loved her. So Julia Roberts and Al Pacino read lines together. Pacino brought the star power, but he ultimately turned down the role. Then they approached Richard Gere. Gere had starred in films like An Officer and a Gentleman and American Gigolo. He said 3000 wasn't his kind of movie and passed on it immediately. But Roberts knew he was Edward. So she and Gary Marshall flew out to New York to Gere's apartment to see if they could change his mind. The three talked in his office and the chemistry between Roberts and Gear was palpable. So at the end of their visit, Roberts took a post-it note from his desk and wrote the words, please say yes. She turned the post-it toward Gear. He smiled and Edward was cast. Back in LA, Lawton and Marshall were still playing with the ending. The way Lawton saw it, they only had two options. Either Edward broke Vivian's heart or they ended up together. She couldn't end up with somebody else. The way Marshall saw it, the story was a modern-day fairy tale with a twist, and the two ending up together was a no-brainer. But at the end of the day, the chemistry between Roberts and Gear was undeniable, and it sealed the decision. Vivian and Edward had to end up a couple. However, Lawton didn't want the film to end with Edward rescuing Vivian. He wanted them to be equals in every sense, except money. So in the end, it was decided. She rescues him right back. But before the movie was released, one final detail was changed. Disney worried the title 3000 sounded a little sci-fi. So when an editor suggested Roy Orbison's Oh Pretty Woman for the film's soundtrack, a producer said, what if that was the title? And in 1990, Pretty Woman hit theaters. It opened number one at the box office. And the story J.F. Lawton had originally written that was neither romantic nor a comedy became the highest grossing romantic comedy of all time. Every successful career is shaped by a high degree of serendipity. J.F. Lawton gets his first job at Disneyland, then gets his first big break as a screenwriter at Disney. When he starts a side business programming computers because he can't make ends meet as a writer, 
he happens to meet his future screenwriting manager. And when he takes a shot at writing a dark script versus his usual lighter fare, he gets a foot in the door. While there were also many rejections on J.F. Lawton's road to the crazy success of Pretty Woman, his trajectory after that hit movie is equally as interesting. In the wake of Pretty Woman's monster success, he has a hard time selling his next script. He writes a TV idea. ABC passes on it. He pitches ideas to Disney. They pass on everything. Think about that. Disney turns Lawton's ideas down, even though he has just written their number one hit movie. Nobody is buying his scripts. Because rejection continues even after success. A career is almost never a straight line. It's a zigzag of hits and misses and opportunities and detours. Even after Pretty Woman, J.F. Lawton worried about how he was going to pay his rent. He even wondered if he might have to go backward to becoming an assistant editor again. But he keeps writing. Then he sells a screenplay called Dreadnought, an action thriller that tapped Lawton's own martial arts background. He wrote what he knew. That movie would eventually become Under Siege, starring Steven Seagal. It makes $158 million worldwide. Lawton would go on to write many successful projects. One of the latest is a full circle moment. Around 2014, Lawton receives a proposal from Disney to purchase the live theater rights to his screenplay in order to mount Pretty Woman, the musical. The amount he's offered? $3,000. Lawton turns it down, but eventually gets a much better offer. Pretty Woman the Musical, book written by Lawton and Gary Marshall, music by Brian Adams and Jim Valance, would go on to play for a year on Broadway and just recently moved to the West End of London. Lawton considers himself very lucky. He estimates 50% of his scripts have sold and 50% of those were produced. That's a lot of Hollywood success. And it's a 75% rejection rate. Creative people like J.F. Lawton understand that to go forward, you have to allow yourself to be judged. As hard as it is to withstand repeated rejections, it is an unavoidable reality of success. Because if you can't handle rejection, you instantly limit your possibilities. It's all perspective. In life, you never really lose. You either win or you learn. Never, ever give up. Pretty Woman, Golden Globe Award, Julia Roberts. Academy Award nomination, Julia Roberts. People's Choice Award, Favorite Comedy. Worldwide earnings, 463 million. Welcome to Hollywood. What's your dream? The Rejection Podcast is an apostrophe podcast production and is recorded in an Airstream mobile recording studio. We regret to inform you that this series is hosted and written by me, Sydney O'Reilly. Engineer, Keith Ullman. Producer, Debbie O'Reilly. Theme music by Ian Lefevre and Ari Posner. Director, Callie O'Reilly. Major sources for this episode are listed in the show notes on our website. 
apostrophepodcasts.ca slash rejection. Special thanks to J.F. Lawton. If you're interested in advertising on our show, click Advertise with us on our site. This series is executive produced by Terry O'Reilly. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm being completely honest now, okay? Homelessness makes me uncomfortable. But then I think, at least it's not sleeping on the sidewalk with everything I own uncomfortable. Don't let homelessness assumptions get in the way of homelessness solutions. Go to canadacandoit.ca. Help the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness.